Hello, and welcome to the World Fellows podcast. My name is Emma Skye, and I'm director of the World Fellows program at Yale. My guest today is Jose Luis Chicoma, a Peruvian who heads up a think tank in Mexico. Jose Luis, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Emma, for having me here. You held a number of high-level positions in the government in Peru, including as vice minister of small and medium industries. What vision do you have for the Peruvian economy? Um, it's a mixed vision, positive and negative. Uh, I'll start with the negative part. The negative part has to do with innovation. The Peruvian economy is based on commodities and minerals, mostly based on that. So when we think about the next big idea in the world, the next big innovation, um, it's not going to come from Peru. It's not going to come from Latin America either because we don't invest that much on innovation, science, and technology. Uh, during my, my period in the government, I worked hard for that with a great team of people. We pushed for funds for innovation, no? but they are still not enough. And I think in the next years, we have to push for reforms in Peru and Latin America that promote like serious and big investments of government and private sector for innovation. Um, if that happens, the, the, the outlook is going to be positive. I think we have the human resources, um, certain education achievements in the last years that can promote a change from a commodity-based economy and mineral-based economy to a knowledge-based economy. Uh, so maybe one, one day in a few decades, the next big idea could be Peruvian. So why did you leave Peru and move to Mexico to become the executive director of a think tank? Um, I was a young vice minister. I was vice minister at 33 years old. Before that, I, I had many important positions in the Peruvian government. That was a very exciting time. But at one point, I was 35, and I was like facing an early retirement. <laughs> midlife uh, crisis. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of an early midlife crisis. <laughs> um, so I said, like, I need that space like, to think uh, 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 and reflect upon my experience that I had in those very, like, almost 10 years, very intense 10 years in the Peruvian government. Um, and usually, like, the think tank is that positive revolving door between the government and instead of going to the private sector and work on lobbying. Um, I did that. I, I, I'm like, my revolving door was very good. I went to, the, to, to a think tank to use my knowledge to, 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 to do research and promote and do policy advocacy to promote a better governance in Mexico. So what are and the big issues that you've been working on? Um, actually, like one is related with the first idea I mentioned, uh, promoting a change in the Mexican e economy. So, uh, so it emphasizes more that innovation aspect. Um, so we've been promoting new ways of uh, public private partnerships to invest in innovation. And actually, we're doing the first PPP, public-private partnership, uh, promoting the, like the first one in Mexico, in Jalisco, to promote innovation in the health sector. That's one of the issues. We also work on uh, many others, transparency, public finance, energy efficiency. And recently, we've done some very interesting work on anti-corruption, which is <laughs> a big issue in Latin America, a big issue in, in, in Mexico. And I'm very positive about what's going on and how we are working to fight corruption in Latin America. So tell me a bit about what those anti-corruption initiatives have been. 
Um, they've been like from very big projects. Um, a bunch of NGOs and think tanks have been pushing for the implementation of the anti-corruption reform in Mexico that was approved last year. It's been a really difficult task. Day to day pushing to pressure all the political stakeholders that don't want an anti-corruption reform to go for it. Uh, so it's been like really nice working together in a collective of NGOs and think tanks that sometimes were like frenemies. We compete mm -hmm. for the same funding and the same media attention. And now we're working together, hand in hand, day to day, every day, uh, to push for this anti-corruption reform. And also we've been doing some other stuff um, at Ethos Public Policy Lab, the think tank that I run in Mexico. We've done... Uh, storytelling through comic books, like the most famous and popular comic book in Mexico is the cowboy book, El Libro Vaquero. Mm -hmm. And uh, we use that uh, uh, to, to explain more about the issue of corruption. We didn't know how to explain it because uh, the anti-corruption reform is like, is, is like very, very big deal that only expert lawyers on corruption are going to understand. So um, we try to use this like different way of telling the story of, of, of the anti-corruption system. And we've also organized hackathons with uh, creative millennials to use their, to pick up their brains to do, uh, to figure out how to fight corruption with, with apps and, and, and with technology. I mean, there's a lot of talk at the moment about alternative facts and post-truth. Have you also been addressing that area? Yes, for, for sure. Because we actually, as think tanks, like we, we base our policy proposals, our ideas, our activities, we base them on, on, on research, evidence, data, statistics, indicators. And alternative facts and fake news is, 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 is the opposite. So, so I participate in a lot of domestic and international debates on what is the role of think tanks in, in this new world. And it's very interesting, the conclusions that we're getting to. Uh, probably A, and it's one thing that worries me a lot, is that institution called the newspaper, no? mm. uh, except for a couple of interesting examples of, of these newspapers uh, going through, uh, through a, like strengthening. Um, there are, uh, like, which are probably like the Washington Post and the New York Times, uh, usually the newspapers are, are, are getting weaker uh, all over the world, unless they are like global, like those two examples. So what's going to happen with the future of that institution called the newspaper um, if it doesn't have all the stuff needed to do this investigative journalism that is needed right now more than ever to, fact this alterna uh, to, to, to fight these uh, al alternative facts? Um, probably what we need is to work more in networks, no? NGOs that, that generate information, um, think tanks that, that, that we produce a lot of knowledge. And these networks are going probably to be the future of what's going to happen with, with journalism to confront fake news and alternative facts. I mean, do you see social media as a threat to democracy? Um, it could be. But the problem with 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 that uh, is that always these disruptive innovations go ahead, uh, come first before the government and society figure out a way on how to regulate them. 
uh, that thin line of regulation of fake media is, is, is a very uh, difficult line to cross. Uh, so, so, so we have been very, we as a society and governments have been like very slow to respond to it. Now we saw it last year in the election here in the US. Um, but I think that that lack that usually happens between innovation and response and government response is going to change in the next few years. So it could be negative for the future, but I think that we are going to figure out our response. Now, I know that you're also a bit of a foodie and into <laughs> natural wines. <laughs> so tell us more about that. I love those natural wines that are like the opposite of these industrial processed wines that have dominated the, the global markets for the last three decades. But, but what um, are natural wines? <laughs> Actually, like... Um, I never even heard the term before I met you. <laughs> um, when we think about natural, we think about these wines that have like very low intervention. Most of the wines that we drink uh, are not only not come from organic grapes, but they are also heavily intervened with chemicals and with other additives to enhance its flavor, color, texture, everything. Now, those are most of the wines that we drink all over the world for the last uh, three decades or four decades. Natural wines is a response to that, is going back to basics and saying, no, let's grow up like uh, grapes organically. And then uh, when we have that grape juice to ferment, we're going to do it with the less intervention possible. And that means no chemicals to start fermentation, uh, less sulfites to preserve the wine, and many, many other uh, um, uh, examples on, of non-intervention, no? less oak and, and all of that. But actually, that's only like a tip of the iceberg for me. I'm really interested in food, in food systems. I've been exploring these issues in these last few months at, at Yale. And um, I think it's the start of a new step in my career. I want to to work more on these issues that start food systems start from agriculture to and go all all, all the way on the food chain to to nutrition. And those issues haven't been addressed, I think, in a good way in Latin America, no, and are fundamental in different aspects from uh, uh, from 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 economic development. Um, from fair economic development for everybody to to nutrition and public health. So um, I want to focus on that. Uh, um, in the next uh, few months, I'm going to 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 launch uh, 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 and give more details about that next step. But is on doing policy advocacy on food systems in Latin America. Well, José Luis, I wish you all the best. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Emma.